Hello and welcome to the Corridor of Uncertainty podcast. I am your co-host John Yule and our other co-host is Tony Rowlandson. Hey Tony. Hi John, how are you? I'm alright, thank you. Um, yeah, so that's it. It's the end of the 2016-17 season and yeah, that's another one done, Tony. Uh, it just it seems to me like the football just keeps happening at this point. It does, although this is probably the only point we're going to get in two years something like that because it's world cup next year well don't forget that we've got the confederations cup going on yay (laughs) (laughs) yeah the most value actually interesting point on the confederations cup uh if you look at the part like the recent past winners most of which have been brazil they've gone on to have terrible world cups the next year so we're expecting uh presumably portugal will probably win it so expecting them. Oh, uh, you've also got Germany in there as well. Oh yeah, because they won the. They won the World Cup. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I don't want to really talk about the Confederations Cup uh, too no, much. No, I mean uh, I'll ask you a very broad question uh, before we get into part one, which is going to be our game of the month, which was the Champions League final. But uh, broad question for you: um, quality of the season overall, and did you enjoy it? Yeah. I- I did for the most part. I think, I mean, the thing is, we mainly follow the Premier League, and it was pretty interesting this year, I think, the Premier League in terms of tactically. Obviously, it was a bit boring in terms of Chelsea just ran away with it a bit, and then. Um, well, up until the second half of the season, anyway, when Tottenham started looking like the form team. Yeah, but they got, I think they got within four points or one point, but that was it, really. It was, it was Chelsea's to lose, and six, the top six just dominated everybody else. So you kind of go. Uh, it, it was okay I mean I'm pretty tired right now because I've just been on the stag team for a weekend so it's hard to muster up the enthusiasm for the season gone but I, yeah by the end I was kind of like I was ready for a break um, I think I, I always kind of feel that way after after the season's done but then by about two well where we are now on the 19th of June I'm I'm ready for the football season again yeah, well, I'm, I'm ready for the football season just in part so we can have some genuine football stories to talk about. Yeah. We still get the same amount of news, but there's just like about stuff that's not actually happening. It's just somebody deciding this player would fit here. So let's say a transfer. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I'd agree with you. I'm, I, I, I didn't think that the, the, the Premier League, I mean, I can only really talk about the Premier League, but I didn't think it was that interesting this year. Um like you said, the big, the the top six were very dominant, and after that, it was kind of meh. Yeah, I mean, there was some interesting tactical stuff going on, but it's kind of more in terms of that overarching excitement of what's happening in the league. The you know, in terms of results and teams chasing one another, that just wasn't really happening. The closer you got, kind of was the the uh, top four race. Uh, but that, you know, as Arsenal fans can attest, that can feel a bit. Um, of a disappointment compared to say winning trophies and I don't know the FA Cup victory was was very very nice and put a sheen on the end of our season as well as like I think it was what nine victories in ten matches at the end so I'll take that you ended up with four point four more points than last season yeah but it doesn't feel the same as last season but then last season was just an absolute anomaly (laughs) yes but anyway, let's let's move on to our, our game of the month, which was the Champions League final, uh, Juventus versus Real Madrid. A 4-1 victory for Real Madrid in an absolute 
dominant second half performance. Um, but we'll talk kind of pre-match first. Uh, the, the semi-finals are both very comfortable victories to both Madrid and Juventus over the two legs. Um, I, I think, you know, both both the two teams, I think we're pretty... I didn't really know who was going to win at the start of the game. Yeah, same. I think it, it was kind of a weird one because, uh, you know, Real Madrid and Real Madrid, and there was certainly a few people in the sort of circles that I follow who kind of uh, had a sneaky suspicion that Juve might take it. But it looked like it would be two very well-matched teams. Um, but, yeah, that didn't turn out to be the case. <laughs> By the end, anyway. By the end, yeah. Um, you had a you had a, a kind of tactical view be, uh, pre-game. Yeah, well, I was just, I, I mean, obviously Real Madrid, since Bale's been injured, has been doing this sort of 4-4-2 with Isco behind the two strikers, um, which packs the central midfield. And Juve appeared to go for the uh, 3-4-3, um, which they've done previously. So I was kind of looking at it and thinking that, you know, Real Madrid are going to work the ball through the centre and Juve will kind of try and play narrow and keep it tight and then break out through the wings with, you know, using Alves's uh, ability to get up and down the line and, Sandro as well and Diabala drifting in and around. Um, that was kind of what I was expecting. It didn't really quite work that way exactly. Um, certainly the second half rail, rail controlled the midfield. Massively. Absolutely. Well, um, well, we'll we'll get into the match now, I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 4-1 to Madrid. Uh, an absolute banger from uh, Mandzukic and probably one of the best final goals that has ever happened, I guess. It was a lovely like control on the chest, and then a, a, an overhead uh, overhead volley into just over over Navas into the corner. It was a beautiful goal. Well, my, actually, my favourite thing about it was if it was after the pass from Bonucci from the back to Sandro, the ball didn't touch the floor between oh, three true. players. That's true. So Bonucci hits Sandro. He hits it back in. I can't. Remember. I think it's Higuain who gets it, who lays it off to Mandzukic who chests it, and then overhead kick it, that that was the bit that i loved was actually the fact he just never touched the floor uh, yeah that's, that's interesting good good really good control by juve and i think I, I don't know what happened to madrid's otherwise impeccable defense all game the especially carver how controlled controlling sandra all game was was it was interesting they just fell fell, fell asleep there for like two two seconds well it's, it's one of these things where sandra sort of sat quite deep for a lot of the match um because Mandzukic was staying pretty wide and they seemed to be wanted to use him as a target man, sort of use his height against um, against Carvajal. And that was one situation where Mandzukic had drifted inside and Sandra just kind of absolutely, you know, nailing it down the side. And because Real didn't have anybody as a right winger to pick him up, Sunday's in, in acres of space. Um, so that's that's one of the downsides of if you play that really narrow central formation is your fullbacks can get overloaded really mm. easily. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was a cracking goal. Well, I, I guess that kind of gets me into our first talking point of the game, which is that, I mean, like you said, uh, prior prior to the game, everyone thought Juve were going to go for the 3-4-3, but I thought they went for a back four for the entirety of the match, basically. Yeah, I agree. With, with Barzagli playing like on the right. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, it looked like they pushed Alves into right midfield. Uh, I, I think that... I was very, I was a bit shocked that Juve went for a back four. I thought the three four three would have been really good against uh, Real Madrid, um, Real Madrid's midfield, especially just giving them that extra man. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I was I was surprised by it as well because one of the things is you know if you have the back three against those two strikers, you've got a spare man so you can like man mark and leave a guy behind to cover cover everything, which would presumably be Bonucci. Um, so I wasn't quite sure why they ended up doing that. Maybe they wanted to sort of end up with more like two strikers straight on Ramos and Varane, but I don't see why that'd be a lot better. Um, yeah, it was a really, really odd decision. Um, I, the only other thing I could think of was they wanted Alves to cover Mar- Marcello high up the pitch. Um, but why can't you do that with a wing back anyway? So Yeah, yeah that, that was what I was thinking because um, obviously Danny Alves has got more... Uh, he's, he's, he's very got... Ugh. He's got very good uh, defensive uh, qualities to his game, um, and it did. I was just like, why? Why are they not playing playing him as a wing back? And because they had a very interesting battle between them throughout the whole game, I thought. Um, but Marcello obviously was, a, I think, stood up to Alves a little bit better than than Alves stood up to him. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's one. Of, it was an odd decision because it just created. A ton of problems in in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, and the the only the only thing I can think is is that. Or I guess the other thing is kind of, you know, you're dealing with a diamond midfield, so maybe he wanted to have two banks of four to compress the space better and that sort of thing, and make sure he wasn't caught. Juve weren't caught out wide. When I say him, I mean Allegri, mm-hmm. um, rather than Alves specifically. Um, Do you think as well it might have been um, Alleg- Allegri being quite pragmatic to the fact that Real Madrid have an incredible midfield uh, especially yeah, Mod- I think Modric was is, is just an absolutely fantastic midfielder oh absolutely he's, he's probably the well, one of yeah, one of the best in the world yes absolutely and Cruz Cruz is a machine Cruz is like just never screws up a pass he's so he's so good um no I I would agree with that completely but I'm just not sure why that would solve that problem you know it's kind of if if you've gone like say four five one or three five two or something like that, that would make more sense to get more bodies in there and deal with the situation. But going four four two uh, two, it's kind of hard to see what the advantage is on that. Well, I thought you, I thought than, Juve played more of a, a four two three one. Uh, well, okay, yeah. I mean, you, you could phrase it that way. So Alves is a right inside forward, almost like a right winger forward. Um, more like you've got. Um, so you had the back four, Barzagli, Bonucci, uh, Chiellini, and Santos. Uh, then you, as a flat four, you've got Alves. Um, Sandro, by the way. Oh, Sandro, sorry. Um, uh, but in the in the midfield, you've got Alves, uh, Pjanic, um, uh, Kadira, uh, and then um, Mandzukic on the left. And then you've kind of got the Dybala playing as that attacking midfielder in in that space with uh Higuain and um that's it that's, that's oh that's it, it isn't it yeah no I I, I agreed that Diabala was you know more behind uh it, yeah it was kind of weird in some ways it's kind of like a hybrid formation but the, the thing for me it was kind of like you you're not gonna you haven't got more central midfielders in there right so it looked it looked and particularly the way they were attacking and this sort of leads us into our second point is that you know, Juve were playing very vertical. They were looking to hit Mandzukic in the air against Carvajal. They were also doing this thing where they were working it down the right-hand side to where sort of Alva was. You know, Diabala was working that area a lot and they were looking to cross it in. So I sort of wonder if it was more to do with overloads of 
the fullbacks, Real Madrid's fullbacks, but Barzagli didn't really push forward because he's a central defender. Sandro did occasionally, but not that often. Well, if you um, look at the if you look at the average positions, you've got um, uh, Sandro and uh, Mandzukic basically touching just ahead of the halfway line. But if you look on the right side, uh, Barzagli's sat just a little bit like in front of uh, Bonucci uh, mm. with Alves sitting on the halfway line about uh, level with uh, Sandro. Yeah, okay, so that maybe they were like a, more like a 3 for 3 But it seems, it seems more to me loaded on the left-hand side where they were attacking with Mandzukic and Sandro, but that, that didn't come off, I don't think. No, I mean, they, they, whatever they were trying to do, it didn't really work in attack. They mm. didn't create much as a general rule, and it seemed to be very, very kind of, let's skip the field entirely, get the ball into the front three or into the high wingers um, and then cross it in. That seemed to be the tactic. And Well, I, th- I think my point... And I guess it makes sense if you've got Mandzukic and Higuain on the pitch. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, my, my point with it was what I what I saw is like the first half was very was very balanced between uh, Juve and Madrid. It was, it was quite, a, quite an even half. Um, like you said, Juve bypassed their midfield. And I think, I think that was kind of pragmatic on their, on their half, like... You know, you've got Modric, Cruz, and Casemiro there, who can, you know, all quality central midfielders. So bypass them, and you might have a chance. But then, second half, Madrid just got them on the ball. Especially Modric and, and Cruz just got them on the ball and just took control of the entire game. Mm. No, they were definitely a lot more aggressive and um, did a far better job of pushing and up a little bit and winning the ball. Um, yeah, they, they were excellent second half. They they. You know, Juve weren't creating anything. And obviously getting that... The, the only bit I would probably disagree with is they weren't creating much until Casemiro scored um, with that weird deflected goal. Mm-hmm. At which point, Juve sort of had to come out a bit and that started creating space for their transitions where Real Madrid are just devastating. Um, and then they got the goal uh, shortly afterwards with Ronaldo where Modric won it high up the pitch because he was absolutely... You know, he's terrific and... Uh, and, and slot it into the air post and Ronaldo arrived late. So, yeah, Real Madrid were definitely a lot better the second half. I sort of wonder if that was a combination of them improving plus the circumstances of the game changing. Um, because up until that Casemiro goal, I wasn't like, it wasn't like they were creating tons of chance in my, chances in my view. No, it took, it, uh, well, they got the two goals very quick, in, in very quick succession. I think it was three or four minutes between the, the second and the third goal for Madrid. Mm. But I, I, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the game was very different after, like as soon as the second half started, Madrid were much more in control. I thought, I didn't think Juventus offered anything. No, I, I, I agreed. Uh, sorry, I agreed. I agree. But the the um, the point is, is kind of we know Juve are quite happy to sit deep and let the team other team have the ball. So there's a question, and they were playing very vertical as well. So there's that question of like. Real Madrid came out more aggressive, but was there also an element on Juve side of like, okay, that's fine, we'll just control space, we'll sit deep, we won't worry too much about it, they can have the ball, um, and then we'll kind of work to just get a, a, some sort of chance and make the most of it. Um, uh, if if that was their tactic, then they they did it very badly because every time they did try and break out, they lost that second ball immediately. No, agreed, agreed. Yeah. So maybe I mean, maybe maybe it was uh, Madrid's aggression in the second half; they just stepped that up. Yeah, I think I think absolutely they did. I mean, it's it's hard to say that Real Madrid definitely deserve to win, and they deserve to win based on the second half performance. Um, 
and yeah. <laughs> Don't well, know what to add, really. It's, it's one of those things. Like, it's such a weird game because it's not like it's not like there's a ton of tactical stuff happening. It just seemed to be much more around sort of individual moments. Uh, well, like, that leads us into our final talking point, which was Real's individualism at the end of the day. Yeah, well, I, I just had these moments of I was watching it, and a Real Madrid player, it'd be someone like Cruz would pick up the ball. And Casemiro would be stood right by him. And Marcello was by him as well, which is terrible spacing, right? Because <laughs> you're just wasting your options. Because um, they literally stood right in the same space. And it's this thing of like, I was watching Real Madrid and I wasn't going, wow, this is an incredible system. They really <laughs> move together well. They're very balanced and stuff. It was just like, no, here are some incredible players playing in a system which works well enough for them that they can be as incredible as they are. But um, then I, is that is that not a... a- I'd say credit to Zan, and is that not tactical nous on his side in in setting up a system that caters to the individual rather than the collective? Well, yes, I guess. I mean, and it's and I guess Zidane did learn a lot from Ancelotti, and Ancelotti's kind of a similar coach in that way. He's he's a guy who looks at what he's got and goes, okay, here's how I fit it in so the individuals can be individuals. Um, you know, Casemiro is not a very good player. Like, well, I times. mean, you look you look at his goal, and that was a very individu- individu- uh, individualistic goal. He he nicked it off the toe of Cruz, I think. He was just yeah, just and- coming to just coming to get his touch on it, and Casemiro just nicks it off him and scores. Well, he takes this shot from miles away. Uh-huh. Like it was such a stupid shot to take. But there was there was a multiple times where he got the ball deep, and you, there was a guy. You know, Carvajal was like you know, acres of space on the right, so he looks up and he pings this ball straight to Bonucci. <laughs> who's the right-sided centre-back. So mm-hmm. he's gone, got it to the wrong side. And, and you know, he's not a good player, but all he does is he balances the team a little bit so that Modric, Cruz and Isco, who are very good players, can go and be Modric, Cruz and Isco. Um, so it's kind of very weird, because one of the things that people have been talking about is this thing of, like, you know, they've won three Champions Leagues, is it, in four seasons? Um, True. Two, and, in a, two in a row now, which hasn't been done in 27 years. Yeah, well, absolutely. And and it's kind of like this thing of like, why aren't we talking about them in the same breath as the Barcelona team and all this sort of stuff? And Is it because that they don't have that tactical system? Well, I just... I think is it is it, is it is it a case that we're just like oh it's Madrid they've got all these it's that Galactico thing they've got all the Galacticos they've got all the best players they should be winning this. Well, I guess I guess for me the the reason I would say is the achievement is less impressive is this season the standard of the top teams is lower than it has been, right? Would be my argument. You've got Barcelona you... who who aren't the same Barcelona. Bayern yeah, haven't, Bayern. Bayern haven't really got it together. Oh, um, Juventus have been, have been the best of a... Are you saying like Juventus are the best of a bad bunch? Kind of. No, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a bad bunch. I just think the level, like, say, two seasons... Last season and for the you know few seasons before that was so high. Like, there was some... They like, Atletico were peak at peak Simeone. You know, uh, Bayern were peak, peak Pep. Um, you had... Uh, but... Barcelona doing incredible things under Enrique in terms of that attack um, and it hadn't all fallen to pieces yet. You know? hmm. So you had these three sides who were just so strong. Um, whereas this season you kind of go, I mean, Bayern are still very good. Barcelona are still pretty good. Um, but they're not, it's not the same. It's not, the, it's not as, it's not as all conquering as those three sides were. And, no, well, and the I mean, you, before, had, you, had, Rail, you had, oh, sorry, go on. Real had a very easy run to 
final. Because as did Manchester City, because they beat Manchester City in the semi-final. They, did, they didn't face anybody who was like a top four or six team in the world. Um, so you kind of look at that and, and that sort of undermines the achievement a bit. And then you look at the side and the whole thing about Barcelona, uh, that peak Barcelona side, is they perfectly, they, they just moved together so beautifully. Um, regardless of the tactical system, you know, if, if Iniesta dropped into this space, then Xavi would kind of move across to cover that space. Busquets would shift. Um, Alba would kind of arrive providing deep runs so that, uh, the you know, I think it was Pedro back then would cut, kind of cut it. No, Villa could cut in um, and get into attacking positions. It was it all moved together really, really well. And it was made it impossible to deal with because there was no obvious gaps. Whereas like Real, you kind of look at them and you go, well, they won again, but I don't understand quite how sometimes because <laughs> mm. it, it just it is just moments of like Cristiano Ronaldo being Cristiano Ronaldo and incredible or Modric just you know going into it's kind super of super midfield but, mode well I was going to say beast mode which is a weird thing to say about it's, yeah Modric. I, would, I wouldn't I wouldn't define Modric as a beast no but like if you watch in that game in against Juve like he was actually he was pressing really high he was winning the ball and then he was like taking it past people and hitting passes. he was just actually really all action um so yeah, and then Marcello just does what Marcello does. Uh, Marcello, sorry, um, which I really like. He just gets up and down that flank so well. Um, so yeah, it's I look at them, I look at them, and go, yeah, this is a really good side, but they don't feel like a three times in four years Champions League side, and I can't can't work and, it and out. I, yeah, I feel like I must be missing something, or I'm just being stupid in some way because they are that. But yeah. There's okay. a lot of sense of deflation about it. I don't know how you feel. Well, I, I, it's uh, there's one side of me that's. I mean, I don't watch a lot of Madrid in La Liga, um, so I can't really comment too much. I mean, when I watch the Champions League, you see Madrid and you see the. You know, you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, who uh, he, he's he's the best player in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Like he's just so good <laughs> um and you've got Modric as well who I I love watching as a player he's fantastic um you know Varane's like an up-and-coming centre-back you've got uh Sergio Ramos as well who just has that absolute winning mentality as well um he's an absolute evil bastard oh yeah I mean look at the Quadrado sending off which I, th- I think was a fair <laughs> so- it was a fair sending off he did he, he did stand on his foot but he barely stood on his foot and it seemed to be accidental yeah yeah I mean you're always going to get something like that from him and that comes from his absolute need to win which is so important I think within a team um, but I mean, I'm going to wrap it up here anyway because uh, we've been chatting for a bit. Um, let's end up with your uh, with your man of the match. Well, uh, I'm tempted to go for uh, the obvious one is someone like Ronaldo because um, he scored twice. I didn't final. think he was. That, I don't think it was that obvious. I, I, I think he he did well. well with, he was very efficient, <laughs> but I think overall the, in the whole game, I didn't think he did he did a lot. No, that's that's fair, but he did score, you know, two goals in no, the final. I, I, I know, but that, that's the beauty of Ronaldo, isn't it? Especially, especially late career Ronaldo. Yeah, this, this is late to. career Ronaldo. He can't do as much, but he can yeah. still poach goals. That's that oh, he's done nothing, but he scores. <laughs> yeah, he just scores all the time. Um, I will probably go... Uh, Modric deserves a special mention, but I really like Tony Cruz. He just never wastes the ball, and it's just... 
he created the the first goal um, by sucking in two central midfielders and then laying it off at exactly the perfect time. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I I really liked it. I thought he was excellent. I think you. Um, I I don't know. Uh, I know Casemiro got the official man of the match. Uh, I, <laughs> I thought he was excellent. In fairness, he made seven tackles, which was the most in the game. Second was Sergio Ramos, who made four. So. I, I, I think he contributed a lot to uh, what I was saying about that second ball that Juventus failed to win because Casemiro was just kind of there. I'd also agree with Cruz, Modric. Can, can I give it to the entire Real Madrid midfield? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Should we do that? <laughs> we'll just say that they were they were that world class, world class. If, you, if, you, if you're willing to buy the extra man in the match trophies to send them, John, yeah, feel free. Well, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure uh, Madrid can afford it, so maybe. Uh, okay, well, we'll we'll end part one there. I, I mean, I love the the Champions League final was absolutely fantastic this year. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna was, I'm gonna celebrate really that. It was really good fun. It was it, really good fun, and because there were two pretty flawed teams, and yeah, it, some really cracking goals. Um, but yeah, I just it's just kind of very. It, there's just this odd thing for me of like, wow, this is the best team in the world right now. Well, okay. yeah. <laughs> definitely in Europe Um, okay well thank you everyone to listening to part one we'll be back just after this with part two Hello and welcome back to the Corridor of Uncertainty podcast it's part two where we're going to discuss uh, the Premier League team within the league of the season um so i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna let the listeners here behind the curtain a wee bit tony i hope you don't mind um but we failed to write down or even bother to listen back to ignore the man behind the curtain (laughs) well considering it's it's me and you behind the curtain anyway i think (laughs) i don't think the listeners have much to be worried about but yeah we, we we didn't write down or bother to listen back to the teams that we've chosen but we we're pretty sure that it was everton and watford so we're going to talk about them anyway um so we'll start off with everton uh they finished seventh this season in the league um which i think if we looked at the if you look at the premier league table and how it finished it was the big six everton and then everyone else so i mean my first question to you is how do everton break that uh monopoly at the top how, how do you get a club into the champions league that isn't in the top six well, it's, it seems to me you got like. Cause, I mean, that has to that has to be Everton's ambition, right? Yeah, I mean, well, unless it's kind of weird to have an ambition to be the seventh best team in the league, isn't it? So uh, you'd hope you'd hope that'd be it. Um, I think you got one of three ways. You got well, three different ways, right? So the first one is you do you basically Abramovich it. You turn somebody comes in and spends insane amounts of money, um, and you literally just overpay for players and buy all the best players and force your way in that way. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of guys who, who are going to spend that money, so you then get into option two, which is you try and make sure you are the best of the rest and really consistently solid and good. And then you hope, uh, or you wait, rather, for a season, a bit like last season, where stuff just goes wrong for all the big teams, um, or enough of the big teams that you can sneak in there as a, as a Champions League team and then you try and use that money to build further then your third option is you you basically try and play high risk 
transfer strategy. So what you do is you go and gamble on a whole bunch of guys who could turn out to be amazing or they could turn out <laughs> so mainly, you know, young, talented players, um, that sort of thing, and hope that it comes together and you can sort of shoot up well enough. Um, but you'll notice with all of these, none of these other than the first one are really guarantees of getting it. Well, I mean, this moves us on to our, our second point, which is the recent takeover of... Um of uh, of of Everton uh, which has led to them spending big with Jordan Pickford moving for potentially 30 million pounds so uh, could this takeover push them into that top bracket of teams in the Premier League uh no no not at all <laughs> no uh, well, i mean 30 million on Jordan Pickford is not going to get you into, <laughs> into the Champions League no but does I'm it not- does it does it uh kind of symbolize where they could go yeah i mean it symbolizes that they're probably going to be outskirts of the top six for a long time um because because the thing you know you we've got to remember when abramovich came in didn't he just go and buy like four of the best players in the premier league or something crazy do you remember the size of that squad Mm. like it was insane um he just went and got everybody who was any good um you know when uh shape took over manchester city they did they was it a world record for Rubinho or it's pretty close uh, to that and they spent like tons of money on a whole bunch of different players you know you've got to you've got to be basically paying top almost top level in terms of uh, the 40 50 million plus but you've got to do it for like eight players and then pay their salary as well you know it's that kind of thing that's that to me based on inflation would be the, the, the equivalent um Thirty million is a good. That's amount a lot for a goalkeeper, it is especially a, a young goalkeeper. Yeah, um, I'm not sure Pickford's really worth thirty million. I'll be honest. I think he's very good, but I'm not sure that's your game-changing signing. I think you could use that better. Um, but yeah, I, I, in terms of the guys coming in, they may turn out to be really good for the club, and they've undoubtedly got more money, so they will be more competitive because of that. But you know, 30 million, all of the top six are going to be spending 30 million on players. You know, what what did uh, Liverpool pay for Mane last season? Can you remember? That was about 30 million, wasn't it? It's 30, I thought it was even more. You know, um, previous previous seasons they spent, you know, tons on, on a whole bunch of different players as well. You know, um, famously they spent, what, 38 million on Carroll. Um, it's, it's, it's a different level. You know, it's, it's a good sign. But that's that's not the signings which are going to take you there, which makes it feel to me like it's more you've got to just be consistent or you've got to go for like, and there's no indication that Everton are going to do this, but go for like very, very young, very talented players all over the place. Well, they, they, they used to do that in uh, when David Moyes was the manager. I mean, he managed them pretty successfully for about seven years, wasn't it? Yeah, before it all went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before he fell uh, out of it, love with football. Yeah, well, he, he he had a really good scouting network set up, and they were very particular about who they signed. Um, and and you saw that thing. That, I mean, that was the model of it. They literally were so consistent. They were just super consistent under boys. And they had that one season where it came off, and they got in fourth, and then they just weren't able to get into the Champions League for the qualifications. However, um, I think back then it wasn't the big six, was it? It was it was maybe the top four. Three. Yeah, I mean, it was more top four, but you know, it was still you had Liverpool, Chelsea, um, Arsenal, and United, and then Tottenham 
there and thereabouts when they've got to act together. Mm. Um, so it, was, it wasn't that easy, and those four were consistently the big sides. Um, so, yeah, it's Moyes, Moyes did a really good job, and maybe that's, and that's one of the models you can go for to try and get there, but it is hard because, as you say, there's six really excellent sides with lots of money right now. So you sort of think, well, you know, the point you made about there's six, six teams now, and who have a lot of money and who are very good, you need three of them to have bad seasons for you to sneak into the Champions League. That's really tough. That's really tough. So um, I think as well. I mean, another another point that we've got to we've got to make about Everton is can they keep Lukaku because he's been excellent for them. You know, one of, one of the very few players who have scored fifty Premier League goals before their turn twenty three. Yeah, we're big fans of Lukaku. John. We really like him. I really like him. Yeah, I think he's good. Yeah, I, think, I don't know. Why, I, I, I don't know if that. he's world class, but he's very good. I think I think he's probably going to be world class. In, in terms of like traditional number nines, I don't think. I mean, I can't think of that many more number nines who are better than him, at the and, and at his age, you know. Um, obviously Iguain, but he's getting old. Um, he's thirty now, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, so Suarez, obviously, is the is the. I'd say Suarez is, the, is better than Lukaku. Yeah, no, Suarez is. He's the gold standard. But once you get past that out, who are you looking at? Well, Jekko is number nine for Roma. Um, God, Napoli haven't even really used a number nine this season. <laughs> uh, you've got Lewandowski, who's obviously terrific. So he's probably, he's better than uh, Lukaku. Uh, but, you know, Leipzig haven't got anything special up front in terms of their number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to remember Dortmund's. Oh, Dortmund have Aubameyang, who's very good. Um, I'd say he's better than Lukaku. Lukaku. Um, but once once I start getting outside of those, Aguero, yeah, yeah, Giroud, and who? Giroud, yeah, <laughs> Stephen Fletcher, Olivia Giroud is the is. I mean, let's be honest. Let's just get rid of all the others and just put Giroud in there. Um, no, it's it's kind of like Costa, probably yes. But yeah. let's mm. let's not forget all these guys are all these guys are like twenty eight, twenty nine. Lukaku's five years five or six years younger and he's not that far off them. Yeah. I think he's going to be... He's going to be, he's he's gonna gonna be get even better, isn't he? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, 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 I guess... And he's, there's no way Everton keep him. He's, I think he's ready to go. Well, I guess this leads us to our last kind of point about uh, about Everton is uh, what's their potential? I mean, they've got this takeover. They've got a bit more money swilling around. They're going to move to a new stadium. What's their potential in the next next season, next five seasons? I mean, don't forget as well, it was only in the 80s that they won the league. Yeah, yeah. But things have really changed since then, let's be honest. And that was like uh, 30, 40 years ago now, wasn't it? Uh, but history lasts a long time in football. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's, a, it's a general comment to make me sound intellectual. Oh, good work, good work. Well, you, you stumped me on it, at the very least. Um, I don't know. What, what do you think their potential is? Seventh. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because their top range is seventh for like the next five seasons. Unless one of the top six have some catastrophic thing happen to them. Well, it's, it's, sure. it, I mean, it's hard to judge as well. I mean, I mean, I mean, you, mean, you need to know how, how they do how they this summer, um, what they put together. I think Koeman's a really good manager. He could do something quite special there. But yeah, like you said, I, I think Liverpool could possibly drop in quality next season. Um, <laughs> Arsenal could fall even further. I was just saying Arsenal have a much better, stronger base like in quality, you know, because mm-hmm. you've got more money, your squad's better. Um, for all its flaws, it's better than Everton's. Um, 
So, yeah, I mean, it could happen. And, and Liverpool might struggle with Champions League, playing Champions League as well. But it's it's unlikely, you know. Um, so, I mean, let's be honest, their, their top range is probably actually something like fifth. Because there could be easily a season where two of the top six just have bad seasons for a whole bunch of different reasons. Um, but Champions League, probably not. Okay, I agree with you. Um, we'll 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 leave our Everton chat uh, until next season at some point, um, and we'll move on to Watford. Uh, Watford, <laughs> managed by Matsari for um, a we uh, for the season uh, this season anyway. Uh, they finished seventeenth, so just just outside of the uh, of the relegation zone. Um, I guess we can start with their kind of management structure in, uh, or ownership structure anyway um, and how they're owned by the Pozzo family. Uh, to any of our listeners who don't know, um, the Pozzo family own Udinese in Syria. Uh, they also used to own Granada up until this season when they sold it. But they've kind of been known for sort of sharing players between the teams and making transfers between the teams. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that kind of ownership style. Well, it's very smart. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense because obviously each league has its own idiosyncrasies in terms of what players you can use. Each team, you know, each league also has different requirements in terms of what players do well. You know, playing in Italy is a very different experience to playing in the Premier League. Um, so it's, it's very clever. And, and to be fair, there's other teams, there's, or there's other guys who want to do the same thing. Uh, notably the guy at Charlton, but he's kind of <laughs> doing it in a way that's completely incompetent. Um yeah, it's it's a smart it's a smart structure, and they've got a history with Udinese of doing pretty well for the most part. Um, they they signed the the South American network is going to be incredible, the scout network because they found Sanchez, of course. Um, of course, yeah. Udinese was the, the where his first big break in Europe, I think. So, yeah, it's it's smart, and they seem to be really switched on, if somewhat impatient. Yes, well, I mean, since the Pozzos took over in two thousand and twelve, they've had. Um, Seven managers. <laughs> yeah, Seven what, managers what, in five years, of which in one season they had. I looking at it. Four, three, three. Was it only three in the end? But they had. They had like. They had three after. No, sorry, it was four. four. It was four. They had. Uh, yeah, it was. Sanino, then Jonjent, McKinley, and Jokanovic, and it yeah, was Jokanovic who took him up. Yeah. Well, the the, the thing. I've got a friend who was a, who's a Watford fan, and the thing he said about that season is kind of like it was it was reported on a lot because it's one of those figures which is just insane. But the point he made was kind of the first manager just was bad; it was bad hire, and then the next manager was uh, I think had to stop. For, yeah, Oscar Garcia. Yeah, for medical reasons, um, so it wasn't really the Pozzo's family fault, and then the other one I can't. I guess he was a, Billy McKinley. I guess he was a caretaker manager. He only took charge of yeah. two games. Yeah, exactly. So it was caretaker. So it was kind of this thing of like, in the end, they basically went from, they went basically for two managers for that season, but events caused it to be four, you know, mm. a medical reason and the other guy being a caretaker. So yeah, it's, it's, they, they are brutal with it, let's be honest. Um, but to be fair, since they've been in the Premier League, they've given each manager at least a season, which can't be said for everybody. That's very true. Uh, Kike Sanchez-Flores and Matsari both getting a, a full season in charge. Mm. Um, okay, so I, I'm I'm curious to know since Watford have been in the Premier League um, under Kike Flores and Matsari, uh, what has the difference in style of play been? 
Because I thought um, this season Watford were very dour. Oh, Watford were awfully dour. Matt Zari is literally uber Italian. And it's like, he's <laughs> so stereotypical Italian, it's actually insane. Um, and he, he th this this is how he plays. Um, but one of the things about Kike Flores' season, which I think people forget, is they were pretty defensive then as well. Like, literally the system was two really tight banks of four, which barely ever went forward, and then hit it up to Dini and Igalo and hope they can make something happen. And because Igalo had, like, an insane hot streak at the start of the season, um, in the first half season specifically, where he just converted at a ridiculous rate, um, it looked like they were a decent attacking side, but they weren't really. They just sort of got up to Troy Dini, who could, you know, is big and physical and does a decent job of holding up the ball and could create a bit. So it kind of went I wonder well. if you, I wonder if you could draw kind of comparisons between Dini and, and Jamie Vardy. Like both, both have found been been playing lower league football, had a great first, well, I mean, second season for Vardy, but you know, made a great impression on the Premier League in one season, and then the next season dropped away a wee bit. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I, I think there's a thing of kind of. Um, I I, I mean, my 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 point being, when you come from the, when you're a lower league player and you come up, I think it's quite easy for Premier League teams to kind of be a little bit. Oh, this is a different style of play, and kind of be confused by it. But after a time, they know they work out how you play. Yes, I think that's true. I think you know you look at Dini, both Dini and Vardy. They're limited players. Um, what they do, they do a specific thing, which they're very good at. They're almost like role players. You know, they, hmm. they do one specific thing. Um, and if you can stop the situations where that thing works, it's pretty bad. <laughs> you know, Vardy, Vardy against like deep set defences is... He can't do useless. anything. He, I mean, well, he's not useless, that's not fair. He's, he's okay. Like, he's still quite sharp and stuff, but he's not that effective. Because um, he can't give you much physical presence, except when he's trying to hurt people. Uh, <laughs> True, but uh, let's let's move back to Watford here. Um, let's let's chat about next season. So they finished seventeenth this season. Didn't look very good. However, they've got Marco Silva in as their new manager. Um, managed Hull. Okay, Hull went down, but I think Marco Silva made quite an impression on the Premier League. I think he he he, he brought Hull within, you know, a hair's width of of, of staying up. Yeah, I mean, in the well, in the end, it wasn't that close. But well, no, while, they 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 lost that silly game against Sunderland, didn't they, or drew it? Yeah, yeah, they were, they were six points off in the end. But no, they, he he looked pretty good, and he's got a history of a very impressive career history, which I think we've talked about before um, on a previous one. Because if you remember, he he when he arrived, there was a bit of moaning from Paul Merson and Phil Thompson about it. Um, yeah, I mean, they could end up anywhere from seventh to seventeenth, in my view. I don't think they'll go down. I think um, they're well managed enough uh, on every level that they they'll be fine, um, but it's it's the <laughs> it's the interesting life of a mid-level Premier League team, isn't it? Yeah, it's the lottery of, like, of well there where they'll end up next season. Yeah, and, and just that thing of like kind of if you if they have a really good start to the season and relegation's not on, it's probably the case that Europe's not on either. So you then just go through that weird season of like well. This is nice, I guess, <laughs> but nothing's happening. Um, so I suspect that will be kind of Watford next season. But hopefully with a bit more of an uh, entertaining attacking play than Walter Marzari's. <laughs> True. Okay. Well, I think we'll leave, um, we'll leave part two there. Um, we'll be back in just a minute for part three. 
Hello and welcome back to the Corridor of Uncertainty podcast and we're ending today with part three where we're going to cover um, some of the football stories of the last month and a bit um, and kind of cover the big leagues and we'll also give you a word of what we're going to be doing over the summer as well. Um, so let's start off and we're kind of fortuitous that we're doing this a little bit late Tony in the fact that uh, the last week or so um, one of the biggest stories to come out at least in my opinion um, was that the International Football Association Board came up with a, a radical new proposal in terms of changing the rules of football. Um, some of the points that they discussed were 30-minute halves, where when the ball went out of play or there was a stoppage, the clock would stop too. Um, another point was that uh, if you take a penalty... Uh, if it's saved or missed, then you're not allowed to follow it up uh, to avoid encroachment. Um, also as well, when there's a set piece like a corner, a free kick or a goal kick, uh, players can pass themselves. Um, and I think as well, there was another one where it was only going to be the captain allowed to speak to the referee throughout the whole game. Um, so yeah, let's let's just delve into that a wee bit. Uh, I mean, I'm going to... Uh, uh, we'll start off with like the thirty-minute halves and clock stoppages. I'm, I'm not a fan if I'm if I'm honest. Oh, why's that? Uh, two reasons. One, um, I think time wasting within the game is kind of an important thing. Um, it's an important tactic as well. It, it winds up the opposition if it's your team doing it. It winds you up when it's the opposition doing it to you. And I think that's that's an important thing to have in football. You need you need conflict <laughs> to help with the narrative, of course. Um, I'm also concerned as to what that will mean uh, for maybe the commercialization side of the game. Uh, if you get clock stoppages, as there are in many American sports... Uh, it's an opportunity to throw an advert in. True. Although, I mean, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about it more sort of like rugby, where, because, um, you know, the, the thing with American sports, which is different, say, American football, is that literally you have this one play which happens, and you have a 30-second, 40-second thing while they set up to do the next play, um, which football isn't like that. It's a continuous sport. Um, so, for instance, with basketball, um they don't tend to put adverts in until the timeouts. The way they go around is commentators just go, oh, this player is sponsored by it and all that. And you could do that anyway. So I don't have necessarily a problem with it on the advertiser side. I think the bit which bothers me is kind of like, why 30 minutes? I, I think that it's because <laughs> they... Um, well, they, they averaged it in, in, in a 90-minute in a game now. Uh, it's generally about 60, 60 minutes of open play football, which we've we've mentioned before. Um, yeah, I so agree. they, they, they want to keep which, that the same. In which, case, in which case, why do this at all? If, you do, if you're going to... If the thing is kind of like, oh, currently only 60 minutes of the match that has actual play going on, so we'll set it to 60 minutes, just have it as it is. And like you say, you can then have the whole thing of the time wasting and the sort of added tactical element and psychological element of why not the opposition. But, you know, why not just, why, I don't understand. Surely do you, the idea do you think, do you think, um, the amount of the balls in play. Would you not think that if you played a genuine 90 minute game, uh, do you not think that would impact on the player's fitness? Because if they're only playing yeah, 60 yeah. minutes now, to play a true 90 minutes of football... Would that not just knack them out and lower the quality? 
I'm not talking about 90 minutes. I'm saying like 40 minutes a half, so 80 minutes, or you know, reduce it down to 70. But why an hour? Why go down all the way down to 60 minutes? That I don't understand. Um, but yeah, I I quite like it because it can get very annoying the amount of time wasting. I guess the only thing is kind of at some point you probably you know time wasting just becomes a slightly different thing where you like pass it around at the back or you shield the ball ball in the corner like that wouldn't deal with that at all. Um, stuff like that. I guess would just be the alternative um but yeah i i personally like it because it does irritate me the amount of time which is wasted um just in so many different ways so would you say you're for or against this if they up uh, up the amount from 30 minutes to 35 minutes halves as a minimum yes i'm for it okay uh let's move on to the next bit which is about encroachment within the penalty area um at the point of a penalty so uh, they're proposing that if the penalty is missed or saved, that's it. Do you think? Do, do you think that the they should take the follow the follow up shot out of the equation? Or I, I'm 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 divided on this a wee bit. I think. Yeah, I'm kind of similar. Uh, my guess... my my question would be: Is what then happens if it's missed? Does this is it a goal kick? Just goal kick. Or it's a free kick or something. They that. That's less of a problem. You'd just be, it would go to the opposition. Um, but yeah, I, I just sort of feel like, is this a big deal? <laughs> I like can't think of, yeah. I can't think of any big examples of encroachment that have happened recently. Anyway, not in in, in top football that have like really impacted something. And then the other the other thing you lose is that the the penalty kick way passes it to somebody. That is true. That is true. And, we did um, we did see that. Was it this season with Messi and Suarez? Yeah, I think so. Um, Henri and Perez tried to do it. Famously, they, yeah, didn't they? well, yeah, and and, and, <laughs> and massively failed. And just, I think if they put this rule in, we would never have had that beautiful moment. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like it's probably sensible, but I just don't see why focus on this. Mm. Um, okay, the next point I think we're going to cover is that players can pass themselves with uh, a corner, a free kick, or a goal kick. I think that's quite an interesting, uh, I've, uh, quite an interesting uh, uh, move because I wonder if that would actually encourage more flowing football. I, I, there are many times in a game where I'm just like, oh, I wish we could just keep going, like pass the free kick to yourself, pass, well, n- maybe not so much a corner, but you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's, again, it's kind of rugby-like because in rugby you can, you can sort of just kick it to yourself and run on um, before the defence is set and stuff. So, yeah, I, I think it's sensible. I, 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 like, I like that as an idea. I, um, I think it also ties in with another thing. That, very, sorry, that sorry. Uh, ties in with another point where um, you can still take a set piece when the ball's moving as well. So I guess that's tied into that as well. Oh, well, that's only for goal, goal kicks, though, that one. I thought it was with free kicks as well. But, okay, yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, I, I quite like it. It'd be, it would shift what set pieces are a lot um and i guess i guess you know with corners most corners come to nothing right nothing really happens with corners uh, you get the occasional goal but actually as a percentage it's pretty low so yeah it probably makes it probably makes some sense um to do that just to make it more worth something you know mm-hmm. um rather than just being kind of like oh i'm stuck in the corner with the ball and we have to try and figure out a way to get in so yeah it could be quite fun. Okay. Um, I think it could be fun- a disaster. It could just be chaos as well. But let's, let's stay positive. Well, I think we're going to hope on the quality of refereeing there. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, I think the final thing we're going to discuss with this as well is that um, they're trying to introduce that only the captains can speak to the referee during the game. And as far as I was aware, at least in England, I think it's with the respect campaign. That is supposed to be the case anyway. But uh, yeah, doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was saying with you, I thought this was the case, but yeah, it's, it's not enforced and that's the problem. And, you know, if, if refs enforce it, I think that'd be brilliant. It'd be amazing because I, again, it's just massively irritating where you just get this crowd of people around the referee and stuff um, yelling in his face. And I know that they're struggling to recruit referees and stuff like that is part of the reason why. So yeah, do it. Uh, I, they're going to test it at the World Cup, aren't they? That's true. Yeah, they are. Um, my my only issue with it is having having seen like non-league football, I very much enjoy the back chat. <laughs> when you can hear what they're saying, it's very much enjoyable. Well, that that's one thing they could do is they could do that thing they do in rugby union where they put the camera on the on the referee or whatever. The so microphone. You can actually hear the microphone. Yeah, um, I think they've got a camera as well now but yeah just just have that so you can hear and see what these guys are actually doing and then you can just retroactively like punish them for if they're being particularly bad i've always wondered why they've never done that Uh, supposedly it's to protect the integrity of the referee but that then worries me what they think integrity means yeah (laughs) because surely for integrity you need some form of transparency right I think I think it's actually to do with the fact that referees don't particularly want that to happen in in the sense that it undermines you a bit uh, if people are going back on the decisions you made and changing it and that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I'm well, I mean, we saw we saw this in the FA Cup final um, with Sanchez's first goal. I know you haven't seen it or anything, but uh, there was a question as to, well, there was a question as to whether Ramsey was offside, ignoring um, Sanchez's volleyball technique, but. Uh, again, you need to see it. You, you, you'll love it. It was, it was definitely a, a, not a goal, but um, there, was a, there was a question. Uh, the referee went and spoke to his assistant as to whether Ramsey was offside when Sanchez took the ball forward. He, you know, he, he made out that he was not interfering with play. He was, it, Ramsey was massively offside, um, but didn't, didn't interfere with play at all. Uh, whether he was unsighting Courtois or not is another question. Um, but yeah, you saw, uh, I think it was Rob, not Rob Styles. Uh, I can't remember who the ref was now, but uh, he went and talked to um, his assistant and then gave the goal after talking to his assistant who had ruled it offside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm not averse to a referee changing his mind if he's got someone else who cited something different and is, is certain on it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's I, I, think, I think most referees... I, have, certainly in the Premier League have good integrity and they're trying their best it's, and it's it becomes this thing of like retroactively doing stuff is that actually helping or hurting them because there's there's that element of almost like players being able to go above you do you know what I mean so if you're retroactively deciding that why can't they appeal specific stuff why can't they do this why can't they do that you know which I guess there is an appeal process so it makes no difference and I'm talking rubbish <laughs> but that's, 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 that's my summer <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing though like what i'm not really sure on what the uh how the appeals process or even the the kind of uh retroactive punishment thing works with the fa um but anyway i, I guess like let's sum this up uh, overall thoughts on on these on these proposed new rules i think most of them pretty sensible um that would be good it's just whether they're taken on and actually enforced. That's that's always the question. 
Um, I certainly think the the one with the being able to pass it yourself from a set piece that that would be really interesting to see. It would change just, to, just in terms of. Sorry, I was going to say it would change. Um, it would change how set pieces were set up and everything like that. Yeah, I, I, this I, is such a massive impact on the game. I think it would be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, you, you just have to fundamentally change what you're doing. You know, kind of. Uh, I guess maybe less so on free kicks because quite often you've got two players there anyway, so you could pass it. Um, but goal kicks, for instance, sort of locking down the box like uh, guys have done, that wouldn't work anymore. Corners would be very different. It'd be um, really interesting because you'd have to um, you'd have to position yourself that not only could you take out a cross into the box, but also the player just running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, if you decided not to put a man short, there, he could just like run it into the box. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it could, it could be pretty good. Pretty good. Mm. Um, I think my 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 biggest qualms with it is the clock stoppages. I'm not I'm not such a fan. Um, and also maybe uh, I'd like to see if they if they're gonna if they're gonna do the uh, respect campaign, you know, for the referee thing. I really want to see them enforce that to the max. Like you've got to help referees out. Yes, I agree. Absolutely agree. But it's that, that the captain thing would be great. I, you know, I think I, I see what you mean. Like you miss out on some of the uh, the entertaining uh, responses, but it's. I think it's so important. It just makes referees' jobs so much easier when they can actually <laughs> say something and not have, you know, ten angry men gather around them and yell in their face. I think that makes it quite nice for them, I suppose. Uh, we'll move yeah. on to some some smaller some smaller news stories, uh, recent ones as well. So uh, Ronaldo might leave Real Madrid due to uh, I think it's about a fourteen million euro tax bill. Um, mm. Another transfer rumour is that Hazard might go to Madrid, but has come out saying that he's happy at Chelsea. Uh, another big one, I think, as well, is the young Italian goalkeeper AC Milan, Donnarumma, is said he's not signing his contract uh, renewal, and he's only got 12 months left. Uh, Man City have also made a couple of signings early, um, buying Bernard Silva and uh, I think it's is it Emerson, the goalkeeper from... Edison. 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 And also Everton have been splashing the cash $30 million on Pickford, which we discussed earlier. And um, also buying uh, Klaassen, the Ajax captain. So, I mean, you got anything to add to that, Tony? Any of those points that are interesting to you? No, I, 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 well, I guess I guess the only thing was on the Ronaldo one, I don't understand why moving is going to help him because he'd still owe 14 million in tax. Um, regardless of whether you've moved because it's back he'll, taxes, he'll, isn't it? He'll have, to, he'll have to do a Maradona where he, he just can't go back to Italy because he'll have to pay yeah. his tax. Spain, Spain, you mean? Maradona? Oh, no, Maradona. Sorry, I thought you meant Ronaldo can't go back to Italy. I was getting a bit confused. No, no, no. Maradona yeah. literally cannot go to Italy because he owes so much tax from his time in Napoli. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, no, I, and then the Donnarumma one's interesting as well because Milan, I bet, are really annoyed about that. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's uh, he's under the... the He's got Mina Raiola as, as, as his agent, who's one of these super agents. He was the guy who did Pogba, right? He did the Pogba transfer. Uh, I believe so. I think he's got a lot of influence at Man United. Mm. Um, but okay, yeah, we'll leave that there. Uh, we'll, we'll sort of finish up with a, a wee roundup of the big uh, of the four major leagues around Europe. Um, start off in England. Well, well, actually, we're going to uh, kind of weigh up the the, the Champions League qualifiers uh, potential next season for how they're going to get on in Europe. But we'll start off in England. We'll also make a quick mention of the FA Cup final, which kind of did earlier. But yeah, Arsenal did win it. Yeah. 
What it was, happened, John? It was amazing. We played we played like a real football team and Chelsea didn't show up. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's deeply disturbing that's not what was meant to happen. No, you know, I know. Every, uh, the narrative didn't the play FA out. And then everybody could just start saying Wenger out all the time. That was the plan and, and you just messed it up. Well, I mean, I was right about him signing a, signing the new contract. That was always going to yes. happen. But yeah, no, the FA Cup final was brilliant. Um, I highly advise you watch it. Uh, I, th- I think the biggest... Was it I a three-man defence, Marcel, again? Yeah, we, we stuck with a 3-4-3, matched up with Chelsea, and just... Uh, I know we've criticised the term wanted it more before on this podcast because it's, you know, it's an unquantifiable um, variable, but I, I can't think of any other way to really describe <laughs> it. It was, it was incredible. Every Arsenal player was just on 100%. Uh, and Ozil in that formation, by the way. Urzel, Urzel, so it's kind of, you've got three at the back, you've got the two wing backs with um, uh, Xhaka and Ramsey as your two in midfield, and they kind of operate, uh, well, Ramsey operates more vertically than, than Xhaka due to his mobility issues on Xhaka's part. Um, but, you know, Xhaka's like a playmaker, and then in front of them you've got um, Sanchez and, and Urzel just sat, just sat behind Welbeck, who starts up top. I, t- I tell you what, having Welbeck back makes such a difference. Oh, he's he's he, he's missing. He knits stuff together so well. Oh, he's he's it. he's missing a vital connection between his brain and his foot. Uh, his, I mean, <laughs> he's, he's finishing. Been, yeah, his 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 he's been badly injured over the last like two seasons. So I, you know, you've got to give him give him some time to work on that. But in terms of just his movement on the field and drawing defenders, I mean. I think I texted you during one game uh, and I was just like, you need to watch Danny Welbeck's marking on uh, the defensive midfielder. I can't remember what game that was. It might have been against Man City in the semi-final. Uh, and, you know, Welbeck's a great defensive forward. He is, his movement, his, his marking, his pressing is fantastic and it's so nice to have that, especially mixed with Sanchez as well. Mm. So let, let's finish it just on, on this. Let's finish with this. I, would you prefer fourth and no FA Cup, or what you got this season? Uh, if I'm, no, I, I'd take I'd take the FA Cup. Cool, especially especially because of the way we won it. Like especially the semi final and the final were just fantastic against two of, you know, two teams. Two who, team. Yeah, two teams who are our rivals in terms of what we compete for. Um, so I would take I would take that because if we finished fourth and got no silverware. Well, hasn't that been the big complaint of what's been what's been happening in the fallow years? You know, after after the last mm-hmm. FA Cup in two thousand fifteen, uh, two thousand and five. Sorry, um, I, I I'll take silver. You know, we've won the FA Cup three times in the last four years. <laughs> like you're the, you're the Real Madrid. Of yeah, the FA with, the, Cup. with the Real Madrid in the FA Cup. Um, you know, Arsene Wenger is now the most storied history in the FA Cup. Uh, he's won it the most times out of anyone, seven times. What an achievement, you know? Um, I, yeah, I'd take that, take that any, any day of the week. And I'm going to put my optimistic hat on here and say, do you know what? Let's boss the, Europe, the Europa League next year. Let's do it. Let's win it. <laughs> you know, Man United did it this season. They're in the Champions League. Doesn't matter where you finished. It's very true. Very true. Let's go and win. We could win the Europa League as well, you know? This is, Good. I, I wouldn't say we, we, we'd be a top, top, you know, top favourite in that competition. Let's go and do it. Don't, yeah, don't, and you, and you don't degrade don't a competition to... that's still, you know, that's still elite European level at the end of the day. The point, the point, the point is you don't have to go and see, uh, go to Munich or Barcelona. And that will probably help quite a lot, I think. 
Oh, so. I'm I'm sure we'll draw something like 1860 Munich in the in the in the first knockout yeah. round and, and go out anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and Espanyol. Yeah, be a surprise because they're not in it. No, I, probably <laughs> 1860 Munich aren't in it either. But yeah, anyway, um, talking of the Champions League as well. So Chelsea, Tottenham, City get into the group stages and Liverpool get into the playoff. Um, what do you reckon next season in terms of style of play, um, quality of the side? Could they challenge? Well, it's going, to, it's going to be interesting because, like, you know, Tottenham, Tottenham didn't have a great, haven't had a very good Champions League campaign at all so far under Pochettino. So you'd sort of expect it to be similar, um, that they'll struggle. Liverpool, you know, Klopp's got good history in the Champions League with Dortmund. So you'd think maybe maybe they could do it, but you worry about that squad size. You know, they struggled this year with, with injuries and they weren't in... Were they in the Europa League? They weren't in the nope. Europa League or anything. No, no just uh, well, them and, them and Chelsea. Yeah, literally just Premier League. So you kind of go, okay, this could be interesting. Um, Chelsea, you'd think, would be pretty well set up for it potentially. Although Conte, again, hasn't got great history in uh, in the Champions League, despite being at Juve. Um, True, it's Allegri that's, uh, that's really let them go forward in the Champions League. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, so, so he might, but he's got a point to prove, so it might go pretty well. And I, I do rate him as a coach. Um, and then City, well, the only second season. <laughs> yeah, but they they're not fixing any of the problems. <laughs> yeah, I still feel like they haven't cleared the decks of all the average players in their squad. Well, well the, th- the thing you look at, you go, they desperately need fullbacks and they need defensive midfielders, and because they got they're wheeling out Yaya Toure still and Sanya and hey, they gave uh, him birthday Con- hey, they gave him birthday cake and a new contract this season. <sighs> Yeah, for reasons I don't understand. But whatever. Um, <laughs> but they haven't fixed that. They went and got a diminutive attacking midfielder, which is what they've done every season for the last few seasons. But and... Silver is excellent, though. Oh, he is, but he's not fixing the problem. No. Like, you know, I mean, he is, it is important because Silver's get, you know, David Silver's getting on, on a bit. So, they, you know, they do need replacements. Um, but, you know, they've got De Bruyne, they've got Sané, they've got Sterling. They've got options there. And they've still got Nolito in a cupboard somewhere. It's, it's sort of, and Edison, that that is fixing one of the problems, but they do need to go and get some fullbacks and defensive midfielders. And if they do that, I think they'll be very good, and they'll probably get quarterfinals. Um, if not, it could be a struggle. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, what, we'll, we'll do say you agree if, with that? Um, yeah, I, I I think with Man City is that they're suffering from the problem that maybe Tottenham suffer from, in that. Although maybe not so much anymore, but specifically when they first started getting in the Champions League, they had that kind of we've not competed at that level mentality. And I, they need to shake that, I think. they still got that kind of, is this... is this Because I know a lot, of the, um, a lot of the supporters aren't a big fan of the Champions League, um, which, can impact, which can impact on the team as well, if the fans aren't behind it. They've been to the semi-finals. Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I, I think Man City are definitely a team more than capable of competing at the Champions League quarterfinal, semi-final level, but they don't seem to have the mentality. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so let's move on. I'm not going to make any predictions because we can save that to the start of next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in Spain, we had Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid and Sevilla all uh, all um, getting into the Champions League again, Sevilla getting into the playoff, the others into the group. So pretty standard, uh, pretty standard turnout from Spain again. Yeah, pretty much. So we can look forward to Madrid winning it, uh, Barca <laughs> beating PSG oh, again. Three uh, in a row would uh, be amazing. Is Zidane yeah. the best manager in the world ever? Yeah, literally just have to. Be. Um, <laughs> 
well, the interesting ones are going to be Atletico and Sevilla because they both lost their managers. And, yeah, and, uh, I, I really like San Paoli, who was Sevilla's manager as well. Yeah, he's gone yeah. to Argentina. Go? Argentina. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so San Paoli's gone and he played a very specific style. So, it'll, but Sevilla in general kind of evolved pretty well. But it is going to be hard for them. Uh, Atletico is going to be really interesting because Simeone built that club. You know, that was a mess when he got there. Um, I think we can forget that quite easily. But they were a mess. So whether it holds together with him gone, could be. it could be bad. It could be really bad. Well, it'll be uh, interesting to see... Oh, no, Simeone's still there. I thought he was gone at the end of the season. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, he's still, he's still on their... Um, still listed oh. as their manager, but... Oh, maybe it's the end of the... The season coming. I thought he agreed to sort of shorten his contract by a year so he could uh, leave, but maybe, maybe. Um, I'm not sure if he's leaving. I haven't read anything on that, but yeah, if he if he leaves, then yeah, it'd be interesting to see who they get in. I mean, again, talking. I don't want to go on the manager roundabout here, but <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. If if Simeone stays or if he leaves or whatever. So if I think if he stays, then. Always, always give them a shout. Very, very good on the European stage. Did they get, they got semi-finals this year, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they lost to, yeah, they got comprehensively beaten by Real Madrid. That's uh, true. But That's true. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think again, Madrid, Barcelona—they're pretty easy shouts for at least semi-final. You've got to give it that. You've got to give them that. Um, Barca fell apart. Oh, you, yeah, it's a fake. It's a failure if they don't make it up. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to Germany. Um, Bayern, Leipzig and Dortmund getting into the group stage and Hoffenheim into the playoff. Um, interesting teams, I think, from Germany there. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, but, well, Bayern, I mean, I mean, yeah, but Bayern and Dortmund, I'd expect. But, you know, Leipzig yeah, and Hoffenheim, I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, but, you know, Bayern will win it as well. Um, what, win the so, Champions yeah. League? Yeah, they'll, they'll win it. It'll be both Real Madrid and Bayern. And probably Barcelona. <laughs> um, Leipzig. <laughs> but like Leipzig Leipzig are a really good side and a really well-organised side. And they, they could cause some very interesting problems for teams who are not used to the um, game. The, the, the question is, it's going to be squad size. Because obviously, I was, I was just saying they've got a very vertical game and a very uh, interesting pressing style, which mm-hmm. will probably cause lots of problems in Europe. Um, I think they'll do quite well as long as they can stay fit because that's going to be the question is squad size. Mm-hmm. Um, Dortmund, you'd expect to be better this season coming because they've got a young squad uh, who and have gone through the previous season of upheaval, so it should be a bit more steady this season. Well, they've lost um, their manager, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. It's Have they named a new one? Was it the Mines guy they've got in? They always get the guy from Mines, don't they? Let me have a look. Um, that's, that's how it works. Wait, wait, it, wait, it's wait, like literally mines. <laughs> That's it, because um, uh, a feeder club for managers. To, <laughs> yeah, because to... um, didn't they get the well? They got Klopp and Tuchel from Mainz, didn't they? Yes, they did. So, uh, so they got they got in Peter, they got in Peter Bosch from Ajax. Yeah, who, who was doing a really great job there. Um, so yeah, I think I think that'd be good. Hoffenheim, I sort of expect to be quite weak, um, but I wasn't crazily impressed by them in the league they're quite like they're very fast transition side but they're not actually fantastic defensively um so yeah i expect them not to do so well but that that's my first thing think any, get, any thoughts do you think they'll well i mean Bayern, obviously 
Um, I don't know. I don't know too much about Leipzig. I've, I've watched that one game with you when they played Bayern and got steamrolled by Bayern. Um, yeah, that doesn't. That doesn't. Yeah, well, no. I'm considering they finished like second in the league. I'm pretty sure that's not representative of them at all. <laughs> uh, Dortmund, yeah. Uh, Peter Bosch. It's going to be his first experience at that level. Um, oh, he's in the Europa League final. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, no. Okay, yeah, fair point. I can but see. You can't have it both ways, John. No, no, no. I, no, no, no. I concede my point. Absolutely. <laughs> I do concede my point. I didn't think about that. Um, Hoffenheim, I don't know too much about. I don't know if if, if you're a shake, if they're as shaky as you think they are. Do you think they'll even get in through the playoffs? I mean, they play an unseeded team, but... Yeah, I'd, I'd expect them to get through the playoffs. So I just think they'll... To... Yeah, I mean they might they might do they might do all right. You know, I I think they're a decent team. Um, I just think they're the weaker weakest of those four. Okay, we're, we're, and also we're talking about this like pre the summer. Um, yeah, true. Getting players. Anything in. Like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, and finally we'll move on to Italy, where uh, Juve and Roma and Napoli got into the Champions League. Uh, Juve, obviously, uh, what's going to happen with them next season? They'll get to the final and lose it, and Higuain will have another stinker. Um, <laughs> no, no, this, this is the year they're going to win it, John. Uh, I can feel it. So that's the fourth team who's going to win the Champions League uh, next season. Excellent. And, yeah, so it's going very well. Um, but Roma had a very, very exciting season, but uh, lost Spalletti, their manager, but have taken on the Sassuolo manager instead. How do you yeah, Di Francesco, who's, who's done a terrific job at Sassuolo. Like, he got them into Europa League, which is insane. Like, you shouldn't be able to do that because um, they're a very, very small club. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully he can take them on. But I, I expect it will be very different to what... Well, I know they've really lost uh, They've lost Chesney, who got um, uh, the most shutouts in, in Italy this season. So, interesting what they do in their goalkeeper situation. Mm. Well, uh, you know, I hear Claudio Bravo is available, so... <laughs> <laughs> and what about Napoli as well? Napoli are a really, are a really good side. Um, uh, Sarri's an excellent manager, but I think you know Sarri's been there a couple of seasons, and they didn't they didn't do very well this year. Didn't they go out in the qualification round? Uh, I'm not um, sure. Yeah, I think I think because they were definitely they were definitely in the Champions League places last season as well. Because uh, of course they were chasing right up until the end with Higuain when he had that incredible season with them. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's I don't know. Italian teams at the moment seem to really struggle in Europe, with the exception of Juve. So Juve to get to the final and lose to Bayern, <laughs> Madrid, and Barca, and that's why uh, they lose. Yeah, yeah, it's just a super team they're facing, <laughs> and then probably Roma and Napoli to go out in the group stages in or qualification round in a humiliating fashion. You and, reckon? Uh, Portugal to slowly take over uh, Italy's spaces. Do you think so? Because there was a lot of talk of uh, Italy taking over England's four places. Oh, that was years ago, though, wasn't it? No, it was only sure. a couple of seasons ago. Or last season, actually, at the end of last season. What? No, I can't believe that. Oh, well, I guess maybe because Juve have done so well. But, yeah, Italian teams in Europe haven't been great. Oh, in Europa League, they've been good, though, haven't they? Absolutely, which still counts as coefficients. Yeah, it's, it's elite competition, John. It's uh, well, it's discussed. Well, in, in terms of measuring qu the quality of the leagues around Europe, I wouldn't say it's far off. Mm. I, I don't think, I don't think the quality of well, actually, I don't know. Maybe maybe English teams need to take the Europa League a bit more seriously. Um, but we're certainly not even pushing through in the Champions League. No, it's it hasn't been. Which great. is which is the <laughs> indicator, right? Mm. 
Yeah, I, I, it's it's comedy too. It's, you get, you've got you've got Monaco getting into the semi final this year. Is league on better mm. than the Premier League? No. Are the no, top six better than than probably the top what two or three in in France? Probably. No, I mean, I have to agree with you. I'm looking at the UEFA coefficients now, and England are pretty close to Italy. They're not that far off Germany, to be fair, either, but they're pretty close to Italy. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, I don't know. They, they they seem to struggle in, in Champions League a lot, uh, other than Juve. So, that could be, it could be another one of those seasons. But you sort of think, at some point, it's got to come together, right? The, the Rome have been really good last year, and Napoli have been good for a few seasons. So, you sort of think, at some point, they've got to crack it, but... See what happens. Okay. Well, um, I guess I guess that's pretty much the end of the podcast. Um, so it's the summer. Obviously, we won't be doing any podcasts until the end of August when the when the football league season gets picked up again. Um, but to keep you guys still interested, um, we're going to go back to our football manager idea and play some games and make some YouTube videos, maybe. Um, it's not it's not in concrete just yet, but we'll try and get something to keep us going over the summer anyway. Um, look at our Facebook page to get more details on that as the summer goes on. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe maybe we'll release a little podcast as well to kind of uh, make clear what happens with that. So we'll just a little five minute thing of just this is where it is and uh, what's happening. And if you want to check it out, that sounds good to me. That's a great plan on the fly there, Tony. Um, but yeah, we'll leave it here. It's been how I live life. <laughs> It's been a it's been a good year. Um, I'm gonna give a, a wee hat tip to um, most of the most of the cup finals at the end of the season, which were all excellent, including um, you know notable mentions to the Champions League final, FA Cup final, and Scottish Cup final as well, which was which was bloody brilliant. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, thank you. 2016-17. Uh, we'll be back in in August, and thank you, Tony. Thank you, John. See you then. Well, I'll see you before then. But yes, yes. We, we, for the purpose of this podcast, see you then. Yes, and thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see you soon. Cheers.